Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. We are right in the thick of things, just ending a uh, big game season here in Colorado. And uh, I have got the great Bill with Iron Will Broadheads on the other line who uh, just finished up his Colorado goat hunt. What's going on, man? Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. Uh, a little early, but I uh, got a cup of coffee in me, so I think I'm ready to talk goat hunting this morning. <laughs> you, you and I both drew uh, Colorado mountain goat tags. I drew... Um, g7 and um what did you what do you mind mentioning what you drew yeah um well, i don't know maybe i shouldn't because i really want to draw it again and i don't want everybody applying for it yeah i know <laughs> but M- uh, make a number up it's not too far g97 too far away from where you were <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah it's uh a bunch of us drew let's see justin davis you me phil uh, uh pete um dawson a bunch of people we knew drew drew tags this year i drew nanny only uh, tag myself, and then you drew an either sex tag, and this was your first uh, mountain goat hunt, wasn't it? It was. It was. Yeah, I'm, I know very little about mountain goats. I'd see them once in a while in the area where I elk hunt. Um, when I, you know, I hunt up high opening opening week or so, and I'd see a goat once in a while, but I really never been on the hunt of one, and uh, yeah, had had really no experience with it. Um, but. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. That just the places they live and the, the country and and the uh, terrain they can go through is is amazing. It, it's just awesome to be in there and, and uh, watch them. Yeah, it. Um, the Lancasters told me once. I uh, can't remember how they worded it, but it was something about uh, there's some goats you can kill and there's some you can't, and the ones you can't just stop looking at it because you're going to end up killing yourself trying to get to them or something like that. And uh, I've been on a bunch of goat hunts and I have found that to be very true um it's not like the goats are overly i don't want to say they're dumb but you know they don't get a lot of pressure it's just the fact of where they live is is so crazy that you can get yourself in pretty sticky situations if you're not uh overly careful or or cognizant of of what you're about to get into um and i know the terrain where you're at's got you know, all in Colorado, super high elevation, obviously, because, you know, here uh, it's a little different than other areas. Goats don't ever move into the trees a whole lot here. Um, you know, they're generally bristlecomb sometimes in high wind, but, you know, they're they're 12 to 13,000 feet. Um, I mean, what elevation did you get yours at? It was, it was pretty close to 13. I had, I had backpacked in. Um, my camp was at 12,200, and it's so I went in along this, a uh, couple miles in along this, uh, this creek going to the bottom of the basin. It was kind of running east-west. And then it went, it curved, it curved and went north. It's kind of where I camped and in this spot that I was in. So the whole kind of south and, uh, and west side was all these, you know, steep cliffs. Like there was, um, there was shale below it. Um, there was pretty steep and then it just went to these nearly vertical cliffs and then, yeah, and the and that's where the the goats were were hanging out, um, were bedding up in there. On, um, you know, the the area that was then to my um, kind of northeast was was a pretty nice ridge where there was a bunch of terraces. It was rocky, but there was brush and terraces and some grass. And I thought, you know, that's where I need the goats to get because I can actually, you know, get through there and make a stock and everything. But they weren't having it. You know, they were just hanging out in, the, in that steep rocky parts. Um, yeah, there's a 14,000 foot peak, right, you know, right a mile from me there. And, you know, the area that I was hunting, hiking around was all around 13,000 feet. Yeah. Kind of same, same with, with us, with what we had going on. Um, you know, I think, um, the, the biggest issue people have, well, I don't think, I mean, this is just, I, I know it is difficult to tell the difference of a, of a nanny and a billy, um, until you've been on a ton of different hunts and for the most part it doesn't matter anyway i mean nobody knows the difference um you know and and in colorado sometimes you get a lot of guys that'll shoot a i get it you know and it's very arguable there's a lot of nannies here it's odd for some other people in states in other states that colorado would offer a nanny only tag but i would rather somebody shoot an older nanny and then a three-year-old billy and let the three-year-old billy grow and that does not happen here all the time a lot of times guys just want a billy and 
you know, you get, and in the case of, of yours, when I saw the, the photo you sent me, I said, Jesus, dude, that is an old nanny. <laughs> and it was just a beast. And it had uh, scent glands. You know, a lot of people don't think nannies do. And they get old enough, they, they actually do get scent glands on them. And uh, your goat, as, as I understand it, you basically, when the group came out, you just shot the, the biggest bodied goat um, when it came, you know, when they came through. Is that kind of what happened when it came through the feed or kind of go, go through everybody how, how it went down? Yeah. Yeah, so I found this uh, I found this group of goats, and you know I I scouted a couple of different areas in the unit, and when I scouted, I found a group of maybe ten or so nannies and kids, and then there was these three um, three billies that were hanging out together on the side of this you know thousand foot cliff, and I just watched them for like an hour crossing this cliff. They were they were probably um, I'm not very good at aging, but you know maybe three to four year old billies. Um, when I came back in for this trip, I found that group and they're all, they're all together. It seemed like there was 19 goats together in that one group. Um, and I, I did find one other Billy that was just way up high in the top of the cliffs. Um, and that looked like a, that looked like a giant up there. I just, it was like you said, there's some that you just can't get to. And, uh, and he was one of them. I mean, I spent, I spent some time trying to figure out. All right, can I hike out all the way up out the top of this basin, come over a saddle and walk the ridge back? But I mean, that ridge was just so sharp and there's just fire points along it. Um, anyway, I kind of gave up on him. Um, I thought it was better to, you know, live to hunt another day than better make a move on that guy. And also, if I shot him, I mean, he's going to fall off that cliff. So anyway, I kind of, uh, you know, I put on a lot of miles then. I found a couple other nannies and kid groups. Um, looked at the next basins over and uh anyways came back and thought i'm just going to focus on this group of 19 you know watched them for a couple of days i saw i saw there was for sure two billies in there and um but you know to be honest i was having a hard time judging the, the, they had a little bigger bodies but there were some old nannies in there too that had big bodies so um but it looked to me like the two, the, the two billies were the biggest bodied goats um Anyway, that then it was Monday morning, uh, season opener. I got in on them. Um, they were coming down through the bottom, and I I was kind of stalking in. They were they're heading towards these cliffs. Um, I got in kind of an ambush spot. They were about a hundred yards out, and well, I guess they were ninety yards. I was branding them at high wind, so I wasn't going to shoot. Um, but I was just kind of glassing to figure out which one was which. And you know, with that big of a group, one of them saw me. I think. And, uh, and then just headed up into these cliffs and they all went up in there. And this is, it's about a thousand foot high cliff and they were like halfway up in what looked like sheer, you know, sheer rock. And, you know, that was early morning. They went up there and bedded. So I left them, you know, hiked all over looking for other, um, looking for some other goats came back that evening and they weren't in the cliffs anymore. And this was maybe two hours before dark. Um, so I went around, you know, where the creek heads north, it climbs quite a bit, and there's kind of a saddle in there. And I just started going kind of slowly through these big boulder fields and finally spotted them. And they were, uh, yeah, the whole group of, like, 19 were together in this little grassy spot. Um, I ended up belly crawling, and, you know, kind of from boulder to boulder um, through the little bit of grass um, area there was. And I got into... Let's see, I was at like 112. I decided I had to go for the next boulder up, crawled up there and, and popped up there and was glassing. I didn't notice there was one a little higher. And then she saw me, I think, came down to the group. And then they started heading out to the saddle, um, you know, kind of to the right. So I, uh, yeah, I got into 70 yards. I just decided, you know, once they're on their feet and they're moving in, in a group, then, I mean, it's really difficult to judge, especially when you got to, you know, you got a, a minute or so to decide if you're going to shoot or not. Um, so my, my plan there was I'm just going to pick out the biggest bodied one, one that looks like it has the biggest horns and, and shoot it. And, uh, that's what I did. Um, pick out the one that looked, looked the biggest, you know, it, they were walking along and then it stopped, um, ranged at 70 yards. And, um, I shot it here right where I wanted to. I was aiming kind of right at the crease there and probably hit it an inch or two in front of the crease, right through the meaty part of both shoulders. It ran back about 30 yards and stopped. I think it was probably going to go down. 
But, um, yeah, I'm a believer. Put another arrow through something, kill as quick as you can. And I ranged it at 99, dialed my sight, and I put another arrow through it at, at 99, and it just dropped right there. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was a billy that whole time. Um, and uh, when I got up to it, it was turned out to be a big old nanny. I think about a nine-year-old uh, nanny, and yeah, it had eight and a half inch uh, long horns. Uh, it had it had a big scent glands behind it. The things that you might think would uh, make it look like a billy, but um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm pretty inexperienced, but um, yeah, I'm really happy with the goat I got. I think it was you know an old dry uh, nanny, so it was a good one to take out of the out of the herd. And um, yeah, it's a pretty cool goat. Yeah, it. Uh, I when you sent me that photo, I, I remember I was like, Jesus Christ, that thing's a tank, and uh, you know, goats here aren't as big as bodies as, as goats in in like BC or you know parts of Alaska or whatever. But um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that like your goat was probably you know, I don't know two two hundred fifty pounds something like that, which is a big Colorado goat, um, and it had good a good cape, and it's you know it's pretty pretty dang old. Um, I think the average age uh is like three or four for colorado um you know and and, and again um, it's it's difficult unless you've been on a ton of hunts to 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 know exactly i mean when they pee is about the only sure way to tell if you if you're inexperienced but you know and i try like for the most part um you know you're not going to have any ability over three hanging out in a group at, at this time of year, they usually break off around three or after, and there's no certain set rules. But as, as I was showing Amy all these different goats, you know, there's no set rules. I mean, we find you'll find nannies solo all the time um, that you think's a billy, and then it's a nanny. And then, you know, occasionally you'll have a, a pretty decent-sized billy with a group of, of nannies. And, I mean, it takes a lot of hunts for you to get kind of everything figured out and and i'm still figuring things out but the cool thing is is there's hardly ever a bad goat hunt because there's lots of animals and the terrain and just the area is is just badass and i know the area i don't know right where you were at but i know that you know you were in it's pretty epic country back in there as well um and i did you take much for photos or, or were you solo just kind of uh cell phone snapping a few pics or or did you take much yeah i was solo on the trip um i actually had four different friends that said said they wanted to come or planned to come with me but you know everybody uh everybody got busy and, and i understand people have uh have regular jobs and limited vacation things like that so um but yeah i ended up going in solo um snap some pictures videos with just my cell phone was about it um and you know, I had a pretty heavy pack going in. I had, you know, I had um, some heavy binoc, you know, 15 power binoculars. I I traded the Maven owners some broadheads for binocs. I had some new ones there, big tripod, a big spotting scope. So I had, I don't know, 12, 15 pounds of just optics that I don't usually have. So, um, and then I had, uh, you know, it was cold in there. I had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot more clothes <laughs> than usual too. So I had a pretty heavy load going in, so I didn't really want to, bring extra camera equipment myself but uh it's epic country i mean the whole the whole time i was scouting and the whole time i was hunting i just i just had a smile on my face i couldn't wipe off you know it was just pretty incredible just being back in there oh yeah yeah what um what was your setup what were you running for a bow arrows and obviously you know you're running iron wheel broadheads but what what broadhead yeah so i've got a plate rx1 um bow 70 70 pounds i was shooting um Easton Axis Arrows, uh, 300 Spine, our impact collar, um, Ironwell S125 Broadhead. You know, that's, uh, I love that setup for hunting. It's about 510 grains. I've been getting great penetration with that. You know, I put the backcountry, um, elk hunt a couple weeks before and I put two arrows through a bull at, um, 52 yards. And it literally zipped through him and stuck in the dirt about six inches on their side of him. And he went like 12 more yards out to 67 and, and a pretty steep quartering away. And I put another arrow completely through him. It even cut the shoulder blade a little bit on the, on the way out. And that was a full pass through. So, um, yeah. And then on my goat, I put the two arrows through him and, and that second arrow at 99, just kind of the safety shot there. That um that blew through him and it was a quartering two shot and um ran along 
yeah, kind of entered behind the shoulder and came out, actually ran along the hip bone um, on the way out, and then it, it stuck in the dirt there. And I was I was amazed there was a patch of dirt to stick into, but it was, it was actually stuck in the dirt. Um, it was my first shot there at uh, at 70 yards, and it zipped through that goat, and I heard it hit the boulders uh, behind it. And and the, the broadhead survived. I mean, the edge is a little smashed on the boulder, but... Uh, Anyways, yeah, I like that setup. I've gotten a little bit heavier each year. I kind of like that 500 grains or so. Um, really seems to, to blow things through things pretty well. What um, what site were you using? What site? Um, it's a black gold ascent site. So I like to set it up with a, with a four pin. So I've got pins for 20, 30, 40, 50. And then if it's, you know, if, if, if an animal's under 50, I'm usually going to, yeah, if, if an animal's in range is under 50, I'm generally going to just eyeball judge it and take the shot. Um, when they're that close, I don't like pull my range finder out and using it and, uh, you know, blowing the, the quick shot opportunity I might have had. So I like fixed pins for that. And then if it's over, if it's over 50, I'm generally going to take a minute range, dial the sight, take the shot. So, um, but yeah, I like that sight. Uh, I've been shooting a slider sight for, a few years now, um, I really kind of went to it when I started shooting total archery challenge and had to, you know, take those 60 to 120 yard shots, um, on those, on those ranges. You know, prior to that, I had kind of fixed pins that I could shoot out to 80 or so, but, um, for those long range shots, it, it's pretty nice to have that pin you can just dial and put right on the yard as you want and make a shot. No, I, I agree. Um, that's kind of, I, I ran a, a seven pin with a dial when I, for the most part, sometimes I just ran a seven solid pin depending on what I was hunting, but this, the safety shot is the big one. Um, you know, as far as if getting a second arrow, arrow out, I, I'm a firm believer in, in the same thing and you kind of keep shooting until they're, they're down. Um, you don't have quite the distance with the stick bow that you did there. I did with the compound, but even still, it, 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 a security arrow isn't a horrible idea ever. Um, you know, I, I mean, I get, you're talking about the 510 grain arrow. Um, I kind of bounce back and forth between 585 and 600 grains with the stick bow, and I've got 250 okay. up front. Um, and and I've been sending you, you know, photos, but. Uh, I've got to say the, the the mule deer I shot here, uh, the one you know where I get, went and got my ass kicked, basically. Um, you know, I the the devastation from a, a from a stick bow from that. I went through the scapula on the onside, and then blew the leg bone in half on the offside. Um, you know, from a bow shooting 178 feet per second or whatever it is. Um, it's pretty amazing, you know, that that was obviously, uh, you know, with your, your head and people saw photos of the exit wound. Um, what did you think when you saw that? Have you ever seen an exit wound? From, <laughs> it looked like a, I hit it with a, thank God there was four cuts because it looked like I hit it with a 300, 300 Remington Ultra Mag or something. Yeah, it, it looked like you took a hatchet to that and just, you know, severed the leg and the, and the shoulder muscle completely. Um, yeah, I've never seen a, I've never seen a cut like that. That was, that was pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, I think having, you know, our broadheads are, they're very sharp. They're on tool steel. So they hold that edge and they can hold up the bone. And so that's pretty key. I think, um, cause you know, shooting close to that, that shoulder, you know, that's the quickest kill is going to be in that, you know, golden triangle there, you know, through the shoulder bone, leg bone area, that triangle. And, you know, a lot of times you hit it, um, if not on the entrance, on the exit. And so having, having a blade that can, that can cut through that bone, um, get to that exit hole is, uh, is pretty key. And, uh, yeah, that, that hole was amazing on that mule of yours. It's, yeah, it was, it was crazy. The, the goat was another one because I didn't go to, uh, I wasn't at half draw. I jacked up my shoulder. I was, I was probably five inches from full draw, but, um, you know, I sent you photos and I posted some, you know, it went, I kind of had to aim to the right. Because I knew my arrow, I was going to tear stiff, um, which would cause my impact to the left. So it all, you know, a little bit of redneck ingenuity, it all panned out. But it came through its front legs. And uh, the only thing that stopped it is it bounced off the ground, um, which is, is pretty crazy. Can You know, considering with the stick and, and, and you know, I mean, 
not exactly at the full potential of what my bow can do. And I shot that with the uh, the 200 grain solid. Um, really, I, I wanted to get the most, because I was so gimped up, I wasn't sure how much I could draw the bow. And obviously adrenaline and ibuprofen helped out quite a bit, um, where I got it back quite a ways. But it was pretty amazing. Um, you know, the broadhead's dull. It's actually not, the edges are actually pretty good, surprisingly. But it hit more sand than rock. Um, you know, that scree sand shit or whatever where they hang out in. But, uh, yeah, I you know, I get so many questions uh, from guys on... The, the different setups and the in the in the arrow setups and the components and and I know you came out with something with uh, for Eastern Axis which is basically like a footer that helps the durability of because that's kind of the weakness of the axis with that uh, that hit insert is it will blow out the sides or it can and and what you came out with kind of solves that that problem and adds a minimal amount of weight um, and and I mean what do you call that what 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 do people need to look for on your website if they're looking at that. Yeah, you know, we call that an impact collar. It's a, it's a, it's like an inch long footer. Um, but you know, I guess it has the addition of that little flange that goes over the end that, um, kind of holds it in place. But it's, it's a, yeah, one inch long hardened steel sleeve, basically. Um, so I, I like the hit insert setup and, that, um, your, your broadhead, that, that shank of that broadhead that's really your kind of datum surface aligns directly to the ID of the arrow. Um, and you thread down into the hit insert down inside the arrow. Um, and yeah, like you said, the, I mean, it's, it's a strong setup, but if you get a real heavy side load on that, um, side impact, it's on this just through, you know, impact testing of broadheads that I could sometimes break out the side of that arrow. So adding that hard steel sleeve just reinforces it really well. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've been shooting that for a while myself shot like total archery challenge with that set of um and i shot different courses i uh, three different locations i think 10 total courses and i think i lost one arrow total and i didn't i didn't hit every target you know i missed a few and it was holding up to the dirt and rocks and things that i was I was hitting so it's yeah it really, it really kind of strengthens holds that um that connection together because that's something i just through testing is you have a really strong broadhead, but you also need a good connection to the arrow. Um, or if you get side load, it can it can break out there. So yeah, I like I like that that impact collar just uh, beefs things up. And and the arrows I put into your animals, um, you know, they've all spun through afterwards and, and use the things again. So. Yeah, that that definitely you know fixes some of the issues. And uh, while you're on here, I've gotten a, a ton of. I say a ton, much more than a ton of questions on, you know, guy, uh, people doing broadhead testing, um, you know, on, on social media forums and YouTube and things like that. And my thoughts on the testing and, you know, my, my thoughts on, on broadhead testing and and, in, in the spirit of total honesty here, I have not watched all these different tests or, or all of them or only parts of them. And the, the thing that, that you want to look for and you know i'll kind of have you chime in when i'm done here um if someone's doing a broadhead test whether it's you know shooting themselves or through a a machine you really want to look for if if they're if they're shooting in the if they're trying to do an accuracy test and they can't get the broadhead to hit with the field point they're not really getting a good platform for an accuracy test because the bow isn't tuned correctly out of the gate meaning if if you're trying to get um uh like a true accuracy test let's say it's out of a shooting machine the shooting machine is as perfect as you're going to be able to get and if your bow is tuned correctly or if you have to tune it even you know out of tune so to speak for the human body and then retune it for the shooting machine to get an, an an accurate test you know you need to have broadheads and field tips grouping in the same place or, or a bear shaft. So you want to make sure if you're paying attention to, to somebody's test that if out of the, their base platform is flawed out of the gate, you really don't want to take any accuracy information f- from that test because the one I watched recently is, is uh, the field tips and the broadheads didn't even hit in the same spot. So you really don't know how accurate it is because they're starting off you know, incorrect, I guess. And I, I don't know how much of that stuff you've paid attention to, but what are your thoughts on some of those things? Yeah. I've, you know, I've watched a few broadhead tests uh, recently and 
experiments aren't really done in a way and that you can get a good statistical result out of it. Um, you know, for instance, is, you know, as an engineer doing an experiment, I'll set up a design, um, kind of a designed experiment. And one of the first things you do is like a measurement system analysis. Is my measurement system, you know, can it accurately, can it measure something accurately and repeatably? So if, you know, one test I watched the, the field point being shot with each set of broadheads, it wasn't hitting the bullseye each time. You know, the field point itself was, was varying around about maybe six inches or so, it looked like from the video. So, I mean, in that case, you had, you had a good control, which was the field point. And, and to, to do a statistical, um, for, I guess to have, um, when you're comparing two design points, what you want is to have statistically significant difference um, between the two. And then you can say, yeah, one's better than the other. But the way you, you determine statistical significance is you have, say, a control that you're measuring a number of times throughout the test. If that control varies by, say, six inches, um, you're really looking at the variability um, of the control versus the difference on the average measurement between the two design points. And I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but let's say two broadheads, let's say one broadhead had a, a five-inch group, another one had a three-inch group. Well, if your if your controls, your field points, that that ranged five inches throughout the test, then you'd say, well, the, the you know the most accurate I can measure this is within five inches. So if these two broadheads have a two-inch difference, I cannot statistically, I cannot say there's a statistically significant difference between those. You know, that's within the the, the range or variability I would expect. Um, I think there was kind of variable winds in that test and that maybe contributed to it or maybe it was the setup of the hooter shooter. I'm not sure, but when you get that much variability in your controls, yeah, you can't really, you can't really say, and especially shooting a single three shot group, um, you can't really say one broadhead is better or worse than another based on that. And, and I see that in a lot of testing. They'll do, um, you know, a single design point and then make a conclusion on it, comparing things and, but all you can do is say that, yeah, this could happen. Like their durability test, if a blade broke, um, you could say, yeah, it certainly can break. Um, is that like an average of what that would, would typically happen? Well, you don't know unless you do a lot more samples. Um, you know, and, and uh, Cody Greenwood, Trad Lab, is, is good at this. He, I'm not sure if he's a quality – he might be a, like a statistical quality engineer or, uh, or something like that, but he, he sets up experiments – um, you know, and analyzes them. And, you know, he's typically taken hundreds of data points so that he has, you know, so he can say when he's done that, yes, this this is better than this, it's statistically better. Um, but the average guy is just uh, out there doing tests is just taking, you know, one shot or two shots and making a conclusion from it. And, and you know, you really need a lot more data points to be able to do that. About all you can say is that, you know, like in the durability test, um, I think Ironwell brought his do really well. Um, had had I think no damage to a aluminum sheet and um, a concrete block. Um, some of them broke blades, and you could just say, okay, yeah, that can happen. This can break a blade on a hard impact. Um, is it always going to happen? Well, you'd have to do a lot more samples to really say if it's typical or not. Right, and and that's kind of what I have, have tried to relay to people. Like, obviously, I I'm in a really good position because I can get unlimited arrows to test, right? I can get unlimited within reason broadheads to, to test and which, you know, how I'm pretty hard on things or, you know, like is a steel drum the same as an elk shoulder now, but it does give me an idea of what's going to happen with blunt impact or, or a rock or, you know, the other thing too, and, and this isn't, you know, necessarily for for um, you know, this is arrows and broadheads. Side impacts are something that a lot of people don't take into account as much as they probably should. Um, in, in my opinion, because a uh, one impact point, and, and you're much more anal about this and, and a lot smarter than I am. But when when you hit an animal and there's an ass whip to the arrow and an impact at the same time the trauma to the arrow and the broadhead is much different than firing straight away. Um, you know, and, and a good example of that is, is um, well, black palm in Panama. Um, it's this horrible needle freaking tree that 
uh, impact it sideways, you can thump it and it'll break. But when you impact it dead on, it goes, you can about hit it with a hammer. Um, you know, you find a lot of the weaknesses and strengths with different steels and broadheads and arrows, not just, you can't just test one way, in my opinion, anyway. I, I, I've had um, some arrows bouncing off like the stomachs of 3D targets uh, snap in half much easier than others compared to direct impact and, and vice versa. So it, it's it's I don't want people to, you know, I just want people to think when they're looking at different testing and, and how valid or how solid and how in-depth that test was. Um, you know, in the case of like when you have me test something, you know, you're wanting me to test it for months and shoot, you know, 10, 15, 20 animals, and I'm just one person. In comparison to somebody coming out with something and firing it into ballistic gel, that doesn't really, you know, do the, it justice. And when you start comparing steels, um, you know, you do get a lot of, uh, what's the word? There's pros and cons to everything. And one of the cons to a steel that, that I personally like for a knife, and uh, I'm kind of finding out more and more and more, is it shatters um, on impact, and it's it's S30V, and I really like S30V steel. What I don't like is, you know, I encourage people, fire it into a leg bone. Um, fire it into a, a raw brick. They, they, they have a tendency to, to explode, um, and I don't know what your findings are on that. Um, you know, if you kind of, I, I know you're kind of a stickler on the A2 for that reason, it seems like. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to go with the stainless blade steel originally for the broadhead. And in fact, I, I did start that way. I went through five different steels. And, um, you know, the problem with stainless steels, S30V, um, I've tested that one along with a couple other ones. In order to be stainless, they have a high chromium content. They have greater than 13% uh, chromium. And it just reduces the mechanical properties because of that. And then when you get them, when you get them hard enough to have a good edge, hold a good edge, and it become brittle. And, and what I was seeing is, um, you know, they're okay, um, for a lot of hits, but if you hit like a heavy bone impact, especially slight impact, I was just snapping them off. And that's why I went to, um, more tool steels, impact steels and, and settled on A2. Um, I used S7 for a while and, and then A2 and, and S7 and A2 are the two steels used in metal punch, metal stamping dies and punches. Um, a2 is generally in the dies where it's cutting metal. And it just, you know, it just can take that impact. It can be hard and sharp and still take an impact. And that's why, that's why I settled on that. And yeah, I've tested even recently. I'll, I'll still buy broadheads and we do a, a blade strength test. Recently bought some other blades that were a, a stainless and, and check those out. And yeah, when I, when I do this break strength test, I start doing this, this bending to it and it just kind of explodes. Um, and there's, you know, dust cloud, um, just to have a brittle failure. So, you know, that's the reason that eight for a two, um, and you know, the negative there is it can get, it can get, uh, rough spots sooner. Um, uh, we did, we did corrosion testing, this industry standard, um, corrosion testing and found it took the same number of days as stainless before we had, you know, pitting occurring, but it can get some surface spots sooner. So, you know, if you're out in the rain and you're hunting in the rain for multiple days, um, you just got to dry them out. Um, you can apply some blade oil even to uh, make sure they don't corrode. But to me, the, the mechanical performance um, of this tool steel just way outweighs uh, the negatives when you compare it to stainless steel. Yeah, and I definitely, you know, like I'm more mid-road, obviously, than you. There is certainly pros to uh certain steels um other than a2 it's just the more and more and more i tested it i think you just said it the best is the moment i had one blow up pretty much ended my <laughs> my search i was like well fuck that's not good and so i grabbed a bunch and started firing them uh different angles and di you know different bows and different setups um and that that definitely was the the biggest concern because, you know, I do aim in that golden triangle and, uh, you know, on, on entry, I generally don't hit the leg, but it happens. Um, I'm also not opposed to frontal shots and sometimes you're, you know, the animals kind of, 
depending on how it's facing, you may sneak it over a little farther into that shoulder than you want to. And, you know, that it made me super nervous. So uh, that's something I just want people to to think about. Um, and there's there's lots of good, I mean, obviously I've got you on here. There's lots of good broadheads on the, you know, on the market. But um, I very, I don't know, I, t- I tried to add it up. I think I've shot 30 six or seven animals with your, uh, with your broadheads. And I don't have any that, um, I haven't been able to at the very least use as a practice head afterwards, meaning still straight, maybe duller than the other, usually not dull from the animal. It's dull from, you know, bouncing off shit once it goes through. But, um, that's not very common, especially when you start getting into the cheaper broadheads, which I understand not everybody can afford super expensive broadheads, but, when you start getting to the cheaper ones, the the chance of the ferrule being bent is, is extremely high, very, very, very high. So it doesn't really matter if you have replaceable blades, because uh, the ferrule's bent. Especially aluminum ferrules are the worst. Um, you know the blades. I've shot enough stuff over the last 10, 20 years where, you know, you get shrapnel and shit flying off through, uh, you know, rib cages. It's it's not a good sight and. Not it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it really wakes you up to wow, that sucks. I just had the animal of a lifetime in front of me, or my first animal, and this happened. And the changing of one small thing uh, can really make a, a world of difference. And, and and honestly, arrows are no different. Um, you can you can get yourself down a pretty bad wormhole real quick with shitty arrows and have some serious issues. Even even if you can get them to tune, if they're crooked. Uh, you know, they, they can break on very, you know, especially side impacts with ass whipping. You'd, I think people would be surprised if they, they really looked into it. Yeah. I, I like, I tend to spend a lot of time testing and expecting, you know, something before I'm going to bring it out. And I spent several years testing this head and, you know, along the way I'm working with, with guys, with other engineers, um, manufacturing, um, guys. And, you know, and I was, I would say, you know, I like the steel, I like the design, but when I hit this, you know, cow femur on the side, I can snap this blade. And they'd look at me like, are you crazy? <laughs> Isn't this good enough? Um, and I'm like, no, I, I want something that's, you know, kind of going to be the, the ultimate here. And it was the same way on tolerances. Um, you know, I was, I was just a stickler on meeting these tight tolerances. I knew they were achievable and I wanted it to, you know, be just the best it could be. And, and even, you know, going forward, um, you know, I guess I'll mention that you're, you're testing a prototype head for me. Um, people have been asking for this a lot for a year or two now, but I just want to spend a lot of time with design analysis, um, and testing. And, and I, you're a great guy to have tested because you, you know, shoot 20 plus animals a year. So I get a lot of feedback. Um, and you know, if, if a guy's shooting one or two animals a year, you don't, you don't see the whole range of what could happen. Um, but when you're shooting, you know, 20 plus and you're hitting bones, things like that, um, you know, on, on that, uh, on the mule you got, I'll, I just mentioned that was the other head. It's, uh, without telling you too much, it's, it's wider than our current head for those situations where, um, okay, I know I'm going to for sure get a pass through on this animal and why not make it a little wider, you know, to get a little bit more, um, you know, cut a little more tissue if the shot's not perfect or, or whatever, um, that's kind of what it's targeted for. And, you know, I could have just made it come out with it a year or two ago, but I really was, um, you know, I wanted to make sure the flight was good. I wanted to make sure it had the durability people are expecting out of our products. And, uh, you know, so I spent uh, a year here testing it, got some guys shooting it, hunting with it. You know, I want to get everybody's feedback, see if I need to iterate on the design or not. Um, I didn't really want to mention it because I don't want people asking me how soon can I get it. Um, uh, the answer is not not in 2019, so uh, you know just hold on. I want to make sure all the testing looks good, but so far it's been uh, pretty amazing from my experience. Yeah, I, yeah, I um, I, I definitely um, well, so far for me, I've been pretty ecstatic just because I, yeah, I mean just the sheer trauma or whatever the <laughs> photos I've sent you. I was like, holy shit, this thing's insane. Um, the the mule deer was the most trauma I'd seen on a on a shoulder ever, and you know that's hundreds and hundreds of animals I've seen, not just mine, but I mean others obviously as well. But um, you know, arrow setups and everything else. Like I, I I know people get really 
you know, geeked up, you know, into all of those things. And I hate to say it this way, but the way that the industry's going, I think that it's smarter to take maybe, you know, find someone that you, you trust that, you know, is technically proficient and savvy. Um, and then, you know, if you can, or as much as you can test it yourself, certainly in today's, the, the era of, um, here, let me get, you know, like one of the recent, uh, videos, the, the broadhead that won, the guys are paid by the company. Well, if I did a backpack review, would you really fucking believe me? I, I'm the CEO of Kafaro. Of course, we're going to win. I do truly believe we make the best packs, but, you know, I run the company, so it's really not fair. Well, you look at some of these different tests, and I don't think people realize the winner of the the uh, the different reviews um, are getting a check of, you know, fifteen twenty thousand dollars $20,000 cut to them each year to shoot that product. So the validity of the test is up for each person to decide. So test it for yourself, you know. If the warranty's there, fire it into a rock. I'm not saying you want to, you know, obviously yours have been tried and true, but if it's a newer product, you know, fire that thing into a rock. See if it blows up. Um, you know, spin it. Check how accurate uh, the tolerances are when you spin the, the broadhead. Same with arrows. And it, it'll save you money, I can promise you, in the long run because it's, it's no different than buying cheap boots or cheap packs or anything else. By the time you're all said and done, you end up with something really good, but you've spent a lot of money to get there. So definitely kind of find things out for yourself. You know, the accuracy is the same same way. If you're getting a bear shaft to hit with your, uh, you know, your, your fleshed arrows at 20 yards, you know, and then your, your broadhead does not do that. Um, well, there may be some issues with that specific broadhead, you know, and also, again, with the, the implosion or the, the blowing up of the, the broadhead or the bending of the ferrule, you don't need to shoot an aluminum ferrule into a rock to see if it's going to bend. I'll just tell you now, it is going to bend. And on some animals, that's going to be okay. But you start looking at the meaty part of an elk shoulder or the moose, um, a bad shot on a mule deer, it can cost you an animal. I, I mean, I obviously get all of these horror stories, so it's a little bit more like front and center in my mind than probably other people. So, and I, and you, obviously, you're much more intelligent and much more anal on the testing than I am as far as on a scientific perspective. So you really get to see it where it kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, giant red flags pop up in front of you, not only in the field, but, it, you know, in the lab, I guess you could say. Right, yeah, and, and I agree on the aluminum ferrules. Um, and I saw that just when just testing a bunch of different manufacturers' broadheads uh, early on is that uh, on bone impacts, the aluminum ones were bending you know, almost every time. And often often on a heavy impact, they're, they can bend right over. And, and you know, I, I did do one initial iteration with the aluminum ferrule, 775 aluminum, because I wanted to put all the thickness and the mass into the blade. But what I quickly found out is that you can't just have a really strong blade. You have to have a strong, you know, connection to that arrow. Um, cause if you're bending it to ferrule, you just lost a bunch of energy and you've kind of misdirected the, uh, the, the arrow. And, you know, if that, if that starts bending or bending over, you can have where you're only getting, you know, a couple inches of penetration. Um, and that's really what, um, what started me on the whole thing was I was shooting, you know, I shot at an elk, hit a little far forward, hit that shoulder blade, and had a broadhead failure right there. And so it's, yeah, that's kind of started me on the quest of having, you know, an ultimate performing broadhead that was not going to have any damage going through an animal. You know, it was going to go through bones um, and, you know, not bend over, not snap a blade, but get you the max penetration you could. And, I mean, I really feel like I've, I've achieved that with our, our current broadheads. I have had just tons of guys. I bet it's um, up around 40 or 50 now that have told me that they've gotten past two shots, they've gotten to that shoulder blade or even leg on, on the near side, um, got that pass through, got through the vitals. And really that was the, the goal here. And, and, you know, a lot of people are just ecstatic that they that their hunt ended with a, with a quick, clean kill and not, you know, a heartbreak of, you know, all that work um, and then have a broadhead failure and have that, you know, body for the next year or two. So, yeah, it's it's pretty important to me to have that performance. Yeah, and that goes, um, 
you know, whether you miss an animal or hit an animal or, you know, the more you hunt, the more stories you're going to have. And some of those stories, and hopefully a lot of them are going to be, you know, sunshine and roses and, and great. And then you're going to have the ones where, you know, you make a, a hit and, and I'm only bringing this up because you own Ironwell Broadheads, but a very good example, a guy called me, no idea who he was. He had my number from Rock Slide. He said, Hey man, my buddy just took a shot frontal. He was, I'm shooting a rage tripan and, uh, we had good blood for a while and then it slowly, you know, went away basically. And, uh, we can't find the elk, but he's pretty certain, you know, he made a good shot. And I'm like, yeah, man, he hit it in the shoulder pretty much guaranteed. And the guy's like, well, you know, what do you mean? And I'm like, look, a, a rage, you know, tripan is, is a very wide cutting diameter broadhead. Um, so it's going to have uh, some pretty significant muscle trauma that is not fatal to, well, unless you had an artery or whatever, but it's not fatal. It's just going to bleed a lot. And then you're probably going to find a, a bed with some coagulated blood and then it's going to shit on your dreams. And the moral of the story here is, is, um, in this specific situation, it was a 410 grain arrow. Um, and <laughs> it sounds like they saw the bull later and it clipped the, the shoulder, not direct impact. He wasn't too far off on the frontal, you know, so I asked the guy, you know, it's a learning experience. I'm like, do you think a 550 grain fixed blade would have kept going at that angle where, you know, I say it was frontal, it was cornering a little. Would it went through that and got into the goodies? Like he's, I don't know. And I'm like, well, I think it would have. And here is where the problem lies with mechanicals. They do cause more trauma. And I've shot many animals with mechanicals. The issue with that is I'm shooting a 550 to 600 grain arrow at 80 to 90 pounds. So I can get away with pretty much whatever I want within reason. Most guys' setups are... I mean, you can kind of chime in on this, but 65 to 70 pounds, 28, 29 inch draw and a 425 to 475 grain arrow, I would say is, is average. Would you say that's close? Yeah, I think so. Right around there. And that is not a penetrating setup, um, especially with a mechanical. And when you hit certain things on the body, a rib, I mean, this is where a fixed blade broadhead shines as much as anything it shines in a lot of ways and and you know this is coming from a guy who who doesn't have i don't have an issue with mechanical broadheads at times but they will bite you um and you probably start to shudder every time i talk about mechanicals because i know you hate them i'm smart enough to know they will bite you at some point at some point they will not open at some point you'll pull them out of the quiver it'll already be open um I can tell you that for a fact, uh, you know, and, and you may have a deflection. And so, you know, and I'm not just saying this because Bill's, I'm being as candid as I can, Bill's on here. If you are, are, are worried about your penetration, do not shoot a mechanical broadhead. Um, it's just when I tested this, and I know you did as well, you obviously a much more, you know, I did it redneck style. I took an arrow and taped it to a piece of two by four. I would screw a broadhead on it. And I would take a hide and press down with the two by four on a scale like you'd have a bathroom scale. And what that would show is how much pressure a mechanical uh, with a cut on contact head, a chisel tip head, and a mechanical um, forward deploying or rear would take to penetrate that hide. As a guess, I'm curious how much people would believe the difference it's four to six pounds for a cut on contact head from what i found up to 40 pounds for a mechanical that is an insane difference and, and you've done quite a bit of testing on this haven't you yeah i mean that's that's pretty comparable to what i've seen and i mean with your redneck test it sounded like it went pretty pretty well um you know i did it on a instrument machine so i can measure force with position and, you know, control velocity. And what I was pushing through um, most recently was a moose hide, um, a fresh moose hide. It was pretty, pretty thick. And with our, um, with our broadhead, I was getting a 12, 14 pound to push through that thick moose hide and down into about an inch into these dense foam blocks. And when I went to, um, I chose a point, it jumped up a lot. When I went to, um, a couple of, 
the most popular mechanical broadheads, I was getting over 160 pounds it was taking, pushed down into that moose hide. It was actually not cutting completely through, but it was starting to crush the blocks below it. Um, and when I saw that, um, man, people shouldn't be shooting mechanicals at big animals. Um, I mean, I know a lot of guys do it for elk, and they can be successful, but so much energy is taken up just to get through that hide. Um, and then, you know, going through ribs with those long, wide blades that um, you, you're typically going to get some bending or some breaking on, on any bone, and then it just sucks a lot of energy, all, all that does. And, you know, you say I hate them. I, I just see a lot of problems with them, and I've just had so many guys that are now my customers tell me horror stories on losing the animal of their, of their dreams, you know, with the mechanical, and now they're switching to fixed. And really, I think if you can get a fixed blade to shoot well, um, I, you know, it's not going to be quite as wide of a cut, but you, you really have a lot less possible failures. And I think in general, over time on a number of animals, you're going to have more success um, doing that. And, you know, I think if people spend a little time tuning their bows, um, they can get fixed blades to shoot well. You know, just before my goat hunt, I put on our my Insta story, I shot a three-shot group with two field points and a broadhead at, at 101 yards, the one long three-shot group, and it, it was like a two-inch group. And um, I don't know how, I don't know scientifically how I could shoot that that good because my pin was, you know, that big out there. But it certainly showed that um, fixed points can hit with, with field points if you're, uh, you know, if you're bow tuned, if you can do a lot of things to kind of help you out there. Have enough fledge. Um, don't shoot, you know, super light, super fast setup, but, you know, kind of more moderate uh, setup there. Um, and, but yeah, the main thing is have the arrow come straight off your bow um, and not, you know, fishtailing or porpoising in, in a way that that fixed head, you know, fixed head is just going to have more, more area for any pressure to act on. If your arrow is going side to side, you're going to get some side pressure approaching that broad head off, but if you can tune your bow and get your arrow coming off straight, um, you know, I see a lot of guys shooting fixed head long range very accurately. What do you think about that? Yeah, oh, yeah, you can definitely do it. Um, I think, uh, oh, yours being one of them, I've probably got three fixed blades to fly out to 80 spot for spot with, uh, you know, field tips. After, I generally tell people don't expect anything crazy after 60 60 is extremely doable to get fixed blades and, and mechanicals and field tips to all hit the same um when you get past 60 it doesn't matter if it's a fixed or a mechanical there's drag and there is some shitty mechanicals out there that have some serious issues that will fly worse than a high-end fixed i can promise you and then once you get to 80 Anything past that is pretty much just count your blessings. Most people shouldn't be shooting past 60 anyway. Um, so it's definitely with a tuned bow, not a difficult thing. Even when you get into the bigger inch and a quarter inch and three eighths, you can get those to hit to at 50 and 60 yards. Uh, you may need more than, you know, an inch and three quarter vein. You may want to put four, three inch veins on the back. But um, with the testing I've been doing at the house with different heads, um, with a, with a compound, I don't, I don't video myself doing this because I don't want to hear any shit, uh, about, oh my God, are you switching back to a compound? But I shoot one still frequently. And the one specific head, I've been able to get to hit 60 without issue spot for spot with field tips. And so definitely is, is a doable thing and it's a safer thing. Uh, meaning safer as in, you know, no failures, um, with a fixed blade. So it's certainly doable. I just think the biggest thing is don't be afraid to throw a little more fletch in the back. And certainly if you're shooting 265 to 280, don't freak out about your speed. Believe me, a quieter bow and a quieter arrow far outweighs speed because I mean, how many people do you know that don't range the animal anymore? Everybody uses a range finder. Um, so the speed thing to me is not an issue. It's always, you know, I want the, the bow to be quiet, the arrow to fly straight uh, and be accurate. Speed is definitely not very high on my list. I don't know if that answers your question, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I think having more mass in the arrow is, is the way to go for, for penetration and, and really keep the arrow on, on track as well. You know, the, 
force equals mass times acceleration. So if you have more mass, um, it's going to take more force to push that off, whether it's, you know, a little gust from a crosswind or, you know, hitting a little a twig or something like that. The more mass you have in that arrow, more likely it is just to stay on, on track. And, and the lighter arrow as well, um, going faster, um, you know, drag is proportional to velocity squared. So you get more drag, you get, you know, your arrow gets slowed down more as it's going out there. And so penetration is going to be based on momentum. So that's mass times velocity. Well, if you shed a bunch of velocity on your way out there, you've got a lot less retained momentum when you impact that animal. And, you know, just creeping up on mass um, over the years, I just, I'm a firm believer in having a little more mass. Um, you'd be, you'd be amazed, amazed at how much more penetration I think you get with, you know, 50 grains heavier arrow. Um, so yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot of good things about it. Um, keeping the arrow on track, quieter bow, you know, more penetration because of more retained momentum. Um, it, it's all good. And one other thing I, I want to mention too is that you mentioned the veins and a lot of guys want to shoot like little, little target veins and put them on straight just to have minimal drag at the back and, you know, put a decent sized vein on there, like a A Max Stealth or a Heat Vein or like a Blazer Vein, um, Pro, Pro Hunter, you know, those, that size of a vein and then have some, have some offset or helical. You know, I like, I, I like three degrees myself, you know, but I say at least two. Get that arrow rotating because when you get that rotational momentum in that arrow, um, now it, you know, it takes more force to move it off track as well. If there's a little, you know, say wind gust or something. Um, if your arrow is spinning, it takes more force because you've got that rotational momentum that, that now that force has to overcome to get off track. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know why that a lot of guys don't want, don't have a lot of spin on their arrows when I, I think that's a, a good thing to help you out as well. And it, I mean, to me, it's kind of free. You're not adding, you're not adding any mass back there just to put a little offset on them and get them to spin. And I think people are worried about uh, too much drag or parachute effect, but just give it a try, go shoot long range, and I think you'll see kind of a minimal difference in drop with, um, with say, three-degree helical versus, you know, just like a zero or, or one-degree offset. In my experience, there's not that much difference in drop, very little out there, and, and there's some good benefits to it. And, and what I usually suggest to, to most guys is, is the minimum I would do is a three-degree offset straight clamp that's kind of your base to start with and go up from there never go down i had really good luck with a compound with three degree offset with four three inch veins um or two and three quarter and that was and literally i just basically tested mine of the the uh the 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 best of all worlds with still very good accuracy so if i would have went to three degree offset with helical was my grouping better if it was then i would go that route but it seemed to be with a compound three degree offset with four fletch um was kind of my honey hole now it's different with the stick i shoot more helical but if you have um some accuracy problems yourself or or when i say accuracy if you punch the trigger occasionally if you've got some inefficiencies in your shooting to correct that arrow faster, you may need to go to, agreeing with Bill, you may need to go to a helical. And if there's no real downside, especially if you're not shooting past 50 yards, then I would just put, you know, two or three degree helical on there because it really doesn't matter at 50 yards. Where, you know, I agree with Bill for the most part, out to a certain distance, you will notice more drag from a one to two degree offset straight clamp to a three degree helical past 80. But, you know, it's when I say more, you're gonna notice a foot for, uh, somewhere in uh, eight inches of drop at 80, 90, 100, somewhere in there. But most people can't shoot that good of a group at that distance, nor should they be shooting that anyway. So don't pretend like you're Levi Morgan making your setup. Pretend like you're you, and if you suck past 50, then set up the best possible scenario you have to achieve what you're trying to do at 50. 
which a lot of times is some helical with a longer vein. <laughs> so um, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think what happens is people watch social media and TV shows and shit and try to mimic or emulate that. But there's not that many people that can even shoot that far. So it doesn't, you know, you're kind of setting your bow up for something. You're not even, att- something isn't attainable for you specifically. And it's it's bad business. Um the short vein thing, I was stuck in that rut forever myself personally, so I'm speaking from experience, trying to get a fixed blade head with, you know, three inch and three quarter veins. It's, it's just pain in the ass. And then, you know, you throw on three, three inch or three, four inch or four, three inch. Uh, it solves a lot of problems real quick. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and you know, there's no one right perfect setup or answer because everybody's kind of different you know their bows different their draw lengths different and so i would just recommend people go out and test these things um a lot of guys wonder um you know should i add more weight up front well go and go and test it buy some different field points um you know make sure you're not underspined and go shoot go shoot some groups um see how it does for you i think people just want want the one answer from from somebody and you know everybody's everybody's setup's a little different um it's you really need got to kind of test, well, what works the best for you um, in your setup. And, yes, yeah, some people's form isn't perfect, and so they need they need a little bit more um, margin for error. They need, you know, more flex. It's going to correct that arrow quicker, things like that. So, it you know, get out there and, and shoot a bunch, test, you know, spend some time with your bow, getting it tuned, and see what works best for you. No, I, I agree. Well, Man, I I probably should go. I've got people piling up in the office here. Not to cut you short, but um, I uh, man, I congratulations on your go. Thanks for coming on the the podcast, and uh, I appreciate you letting me abuse um all of your different uh, products and broadheads and test everything. And I uh, I'm extremely excited of 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 with what I've I've seen so far this year. And I yeah, I, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, well, thank you. I really appreciate you testing it testing products, give me the feedback. Um, man, I don't know too many guys that have gone as many hunts as you get to and, uh, and shoot as many animals. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm having a good year this year. I've shot five animals, um, which is, you know, if I can get five to eight, I'm, I'm having a great year myself. And, uh, you know, you usually three, four times that. So <laughs> I really appreciate all the feedback. Oh, yeah. No, no problem at all, man. Well, again, thanks. And uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in. And I'll talk to you soon enough. Sounds good. Later.